Yes. Okay, good. All right. Hi, guys. Happy Sunday. Uh, we are here. Melissa is joining me as my little moderator and helper here. Thank you, baby. You're welcome. Uh, okay. So um, let's see. I didn't really have any announcements set up. I just thought we'd get right into it. Um, so uh, let's just, I don't know, I guess we'll just have people come on and yeah, uh, and get to it here. I hope that everybody, by the way, Melissa and I did a podcast this week on the subject of mental health. I, I went back and finished, I don't know if you guys remember a couple of months ago, I did a podcast about the subject of suicide prevention. And I had gone to a two-day workshop on that topic but I was only able to attend the first day. There was a there was a blizzard here in Denver, and so the weather was insane. So I wasn't able to attend the two days. Well, I finally this week got to go back and attend both days, and it was very very educational. And um and just to connect some dots, the same kind of skill set that you need to talk to somebody who is in crisis is the exact same or almost the exact same kind of skill set you need for doing cult interventions or doing kind you know work with people who are in a in a in a place that maybe isn't such a great headspace to be in whether it's an extremist belief mindset or a crisis mindset so anyway i thought that that would be a good thing to do to forward you know everything i've been working on on this channel and so um Melissa and I did a follow-up podcast this week on the subject of mental health, and it was pretty crazy because literally as I was setting up to do the show, the Virginia Beach mass shooting started, and I was like, oh my God, it's happening in real time, you know, that we're talking about these issues. So we addressed some of that and other things in that podcast, so I hope you guys will check that out because um, that kind of stuff is is kind of special work for me, I feel, and uh, and, and I think that it would be you know, good for people to see that stuff. Okay, so I have no idea what people are commenting on right now, but that's uh, that's something I thought I'd sort of plug that out there. Well, they're commenting on that you're competing with Ron Miscavige right now for live stream. <laughs> <laughs> of course I am. Not intentional. Uh, I, I literally, we just said, uh, we, it was a packed week and weekend, and uh, next week is going to be crazy. Um uh, for things I can't really talk about yet, but there's there's some cool stuff happening. So I thought, well, let's just do it live. So we'll we'll just go that way and do it. Um, okay, so the floor is open for questions. Uh, that this this is a Q and A show here. So let me know what you guys would like to know from me or and or Melissa, and uh, and we'll get to it. Okay, so the first question is from Chris Clement Clement Clementis. <laughs> Question, what is the best seed of doubt to plant for a still-in that may or may not be on the fence of looking at the truth? Uh, okay, so the thing to, the, the, the way to go in on somebody who is still in is to get in touch with them and, I, I okay, if they're a complete stranger to you, it's going to be damn near impossible. The only kind of seed planting you can do is general kind of questioning or statements that might appeal to them. And it not and it's not going to be the Xenu kind of stuff. If we're talking about Scientologists, um, it's going to be um, you know it's more along the lines of, of of thinking for yourself, or if they're a staff member, you know, are you getting paid, you know, this kind of stuff? Are you getting up the bridge? Are you are you satisfied with the progress you're making up the bridge? Uh, are you happy with how your life is turning out as a result of Scientology? You know, these kind of questions might 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 possibly 
be useful. They might also reinforce, so it's a little difficult to tell on a general sort of basis. But preferably, if you really want to get seeds of doubt planted in somebody's head, then you're going to have to get in communication with them. And uh, then you're going to want to find out from them. You want them to tell you what their issues, problems, or doubts are. And that's only going to happen if they trust you and they want to talk to you uh, in some fashion or another. It's never going to happen through some kind of street confrontation. Um, but if you can get a communication going, um, then maybe you can draw out from them through questioning, how's it going? How are, you know, how, what kind of gains have you had? Well, have you been satisfied with all of the gains that you've had? Has there been anything that you've been disappointed about? Or is there anything you have, you know, is there any part of this activity that you feel isn't really uh, up to scratch, you know, isn't really satisfying you? Anything, anything that would draw that kind of stuff out? I'm being a little crude in my questioning here, you know, and a little blunt. You'd probably want to be a little bit more roundabout in the way you go about it. But that's, that's the, that's the sort of uh, approach that I think you'd want to take with someone. Um, and again, this is a real broad shoot because you'd you'd have a lot more success talking with somebody like that um, who was a friend of yours or a family member than you would with a complete stranger or somebody you've never met before. All right. So the next question is from Chris Johnson. Hi, Chris. Now Mark Bunker is in better health. Are there any plans for a podcast with him? I would love to do a podcast with Mark Bunker. I've I'm, I've reached out to him. I haven't heard back really. And uh, so I'll reach out. I'm going to continue to reach out. I think he's pretty busy. He's trying to set up his own um, channel and stuff and, and working on some things. So I, you know, that's uh, that's what I know about that right now. And then the next one is from Jackson Grant. Hey, Chris, any news about the RPF book you're writing? Uh, yes, the uh, outline is basically done, and it's a matter of um, some more research and stuff. I want it to be more than just a memoir. I, I um, So I've got, you know, more research stuff to do. And um, it is third in line <laughs> right now uh, behind uh, actually another book that I want to get done first about uh, cult recruitment tactics. And um, and these two big videos that have been promising forever that I need to get done, which are actually now moving forward uh, in a real big way. So, right. yeah. And we got Kyle Howarth. Uh, hey, do you know why the London Scientology on YouTube Q&A keeps going offline? Um, no, I have no idea. Um, but I uh, I don't know in what way is it going offline. Um, I'm not really sure. I I'm not familiar with it at all. I, I saw that the Church of Scientology of London was doing a YouTube channel with Q&A, and I laughed because I thought, huh, how long is the church going to allow that to go on? Uh, I don't think that I don't think Scientology International is real big on on putting anything out on the Internet other than Scientology TV. And all of everything you see on Scientology TV has gone through David Miscavige's office and uh, has his seal of approval. Um, the London Scientology YouTube channel does not. So I, I'm pretty sure they're not going to be real super happy about that, unless there's something I don't know. Uh, but knowing how the church operates and how they think, I can't imagine that they'd be happy with some wild, you know, cowboy move from the, from the London org on, uh, on putting out uh, YouTube content about Scientology, because that's very uncontrolled. 
and unfiltered. And, uh, and they don't like that. You know, they very much want to control the public conversation about Scientology. And of course, they can't, but they want to. So anything they're going to put out, they're going to want to have utter total control over every single comma of it. And I don't think when you're doing uh, live streaming uh, or Q&A type activity that you can control it that well. All right. So this is not a real name says, when do we get the e-meter video? I know. I know. When I just was referring to those projects I was talking about, that's what I was talking about. I actually set up an interview with somebody last night uh, who is going to be in the video, uh, electrical person, uh, electrical engineer that I'm going to uh, use for uh, some things. So it's so it is the actual filming of this thing is now actually getting underway, uh, finally. All right. And then Charlie Hunt asks, is Marty still back in Scientology? I don't know that Marty Rathman ever went back to Scientology as such, as a, as a full-blown Scientologist. But uh, yeah, he's not, you know, he's, I, I think I commented on him pretty extensively uh, in a podcast I did about uh, two weeks ago on the anti-Scientology cult. Uh, which was some kind of brainchild of his and and the Office of Special Affairs. And um, uh, he's, you know, I don't think Marty's ever going to come surface again in the uh, ex-Scientology world. I think he is done and moved on to wherever he's moved on to. Nobody really knows. Uh, it's just a, kind of a big question mark in, as far as we're all concerned. All right. And then Kyle again asks, and to do you know if... David Miscavige was on the boat with the miscules? Measles. Measles. We don't know. Um, there's not been, all, you know, it. <laughs> the bubble world of Scientology is, a, is in a bubble and the information control is a thing. So we don't, you know, unless somebody's in there leaking data or somehow somebody gets a surreptitious photo or information on some line, uh, we don't really know. And David Miscavige's personal physical whereabouts are one of, it, it's one of the most closely guarded secrets within the world of Scientology. It's a big deal to not talk about where he is or where he's going to be. The security guys lock it down. The office special affair guys, guys lock it down um, for security purposes. They don't want people knowing where he is or what he's up to. Uh, so there's proactive, my point is there's proactive measures taken to keep that information, you know, locked down. And that's why we don't know a whole lot about this stuff. Um, he could have been on the boat. He might not have been on the boat. We don't really know. Uh, we only know for sure where he's going to be when there are scheduled international events that he's going to be the MC or speaker at. Those are the only times you can be 100% certain he's going to be at a particular place at a particular time. All right. Um, Dorte Cooler asks, do you know how many members Germany have? Germany? I can, I'd say uh, it's it got kind of big in Germany for a while, but a um, few thousand, you know, probably at the most, a few thousand. I'd say Germany's probably um, got a larger representation of Scientologists in the EU than other EU countries, except maybe U UK. Um you know, it's pretty tiny in, uh, in France, Spain, Austria, Belgium. I mean, these are, the, the, you know, not big. Uh, so this is just kind of, I'm just kind of pulling this figure out of nowhere, but I, I think it's probably just a couple thousand. 
All right. And then Cynthia Juju asks, why did you take your space gun down again? From behind? <laughs> <laughs> if you look at the comments on my videos, that's why I, I'm kind of sick and tired of it. I, you know, I, everything on this wall is a reflection of something of my personality or me. And, um, and then I do a podcast on mental health and, you know, we're talking about suicide and I've got this gun pointed at my head and I, and I, and I realized that there was a thing with that. And I thought, all right, well, you know, it's me, but then it's this subject matter and all this. And, and even when I'm not taught doing a podcast about mental health or, or suicide, um, I get comments about it. You know, I'm triggered. I'm this, I, why do you have a gun back there? You know? And I'm like, okay, if it's going to be that misunderstood, I just, I just don't want it. So, um, so that's why I took it down. All right. And then Neon Cat asks, will you consider interviewing Jamie DeWolf? Yes. I've been trying to make that happen. He is busier than I am. Um, but I really, really want to get him on. And, um, thank you for reminding me actually, cause it's been a too long that I've, uh, asked him about that. So I will get a notice out to him and an uh, invitation and see if we can set something up because he'd be great. And then Chris asks, do you think COB is with his assistant? Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, he has a whole entourage. He's got a personal chef. He's got, uh, you know, drivers. He's got security entourage. He's got his um, personal assistants and aides and stuff um, all the time. He's, he's constantly surrounded by people. I don't, yeah, I actually, now that I think about it, you know, there's really not a whole lot of times where he's kind of gone off by himself. I've, and I've never really heard of him doing a whole lot of things uh, alone or solo. So, yeah, yeah, I'm sure he is. Leon Nett says, at Chris Shelton, will it be possible to audit someone over the Internet? <laughs> you know, independent Scientologists do. They have some kind of remote e-meter set up. And they, I don't know exactly how they have it set up or how it works, but I know that they do this and they do. And there are auditing services offered over the internet. And I don't think anyone would be more upset about that than L. Ron Hubbard. I think he would have a complete cow if he knew that people were doing auditing over teleconferencing. Because auditing is all about being there with the person you're auditing and seeing and hearing and noting everything that's going on with them and physically controlling them. You know, you could do subjective auditing theoretically over the internet, but you know, you'd never be able to do the objective processing. Uh, and even the subjective stuff, you know, it, it, what if, you know, if at some point during the middle of the session, and this happens all the time in auditing, if a guy was like starting to get really upset and didn't want to go through the process anymore, literally he hits a button and it's over. That kind of, you know, an auditor would never, should not, according to the rules of a Scientology auditing, would never relinquish control like that of an auditing session to the preclear. The auditor is supposed to be the one who's completely in charge of every single aspect of the auditing session from the moment the preclear walks in the room until he's walking out. And the auditor is the one who's supposed to be making all the decisions about when it starts, when there's a break, when it ends, what is going to be run, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so I, I really don't, I can't, it's the, it's, it's the crazy, as far as I'm concerned, it's like the most out there thing that the independents do. 
uh, that they you know have set up this remote auditing system. And they don't all do it. You know, there's there's lots of different brands and flavors of independent Scientology. Just about every single independent Scientologist has their own ideas about what is and isn't right and wrong about Scientology. So that's that's as much as I know about that that I can comment on. Okay, so Oh, the internet. Preacher 1138. How did the Xenu documents for OT3 get made public? Also heard a while back that the South African org took a pounding due to mismanagement by the church. Any comments? Okay. So as far as I understand, there was there were um there was some kind of leak of the Xenu materials in this, I believe in the early 70s, but it really kind of got into the public domain. Um, in the 80s with some court cases. I think it was the Wallersheim case or a case that Jerry Armstrong was involved in, which might have been the Wallersheim case or the Portland case. There was there was a big court case and all of this stuff got introduced into the, into the court record and then it was public record. And uh, this is also how we got L. Ron Hubbard's uh, affirmations, as we call them. Uh, his personal notes and and ideas and self hypnosis commands is kind of what we were thinking, thinking those were. Um, all of that came out in the '80s in the in the public record, and then it hit the internet, of course, in the mid to late '90s uh, in chat rooms and forums, and then uh, proceeded from there. Um, the South Africa thing, I think, I think that was from a few years ago. Unless there's some new development I haven't heard about, which is entirely possible. But I know a few years ago, um, they went down and sort of did a, a scorched earth policy down in South Africa where they declared a whole bunch of, I think it was like 12 or 13 key opinion leaders in the South African field, people who had been Scientologists for decades, been major fund uh, funding providers for Scientology, big fa you know families of Scientologists. Uh, and they just kind of got got decimated, and uh, and then South Africa, of course, has you know never really been big in the Scientology world. It's always been sort of one of the far corners of the earth kind of things. But um, but there was a a thriving, growing thing there, and not growing. There was a there was a little community, and um, and now there really isn't much of anything going on down there. They have that Kailumi Castle that they just opened up. And I don't really have any inside information on that thing, except that uh, there's, there's no reason at all to believe that they're doing anything different or interesting down in South Africa compared to what they do in the rest of the world that always results in ideal morgues, not ideal orgs. <laughs> the places are just ghost towns, uh, you know, uh, all the time. All right. So Chris asks again, <clears throat> okay, sorry, but I have so many questions. Yeah, no, bring them. What That's, are your what are your thoughts on Pat and Annie and why they never spoke out with the truth? Okay, well Annie was a hardcore uh true believer in Scientology and L. Ron Hubbard and his technology. And um as I've gone over many, many times, you know, the extremist mindset gets into a place where reality is not the same as what you and I see as reality. Um, people who are enamored by L. Ron Hubbard and by his tech truly believe. You know, I, I, I try, you try to get this across and I think you guys really do get it, but I just have to reiterate it is, you know, when you really think that you're saving the world or that you've got the key information that will, that will unlock all the problems, solve all the, all the situations and war and criminality 
and illiteracy and drug problems like really bring peace to earth. If you really think you've got that, and Scientologists really do think that, especially uh, Annie, she was on board for decades with Scientology um, and was up close with L. Ron Hubbard for most of those years. Uh, she was a true believer. And a true believer is in a different mindset, right? They're in a place where they feel that their life and their well-being and what they're experiencing is secondary to the importance of the of Scientology tech and the and the propagation of that tech. So they kind of put themselves on the, you know, into a martyr kind of situation. And that's what she did. And then I think she developed cancer and ended up dying um, after Miss Gavage just kind of, you know, uh, treated her pretty, pretty ruthlessly, pretty mercilessly. Pat Broker, on the other hand, um, had made this power play, had done this uh, thing where he was claiming that he had all of the upper OT levels and and he was the one who had the key to, you know, to all of this, you know, amazing future for mankind. Well, it turns out after Miscavige and, and Rathbun and those guys raided his place and found all the file cabinets of stuff that he had, that he, that there wasn't really, there was, it was kind of a big nothing burger. There wasn't anything there. Pat left. And I think at that point, he, he was not really a true believer or became jaded or somehow, my supposition is that he was never as hardcore as Annie was or, or other Scientologists around them were. And I think he just wanted out. And I think he wanted out in such a way that he never wanted to go back. He didn't want to talk about it, didn't want to deal with it, didn't want to have anything to do with it. And of course, when he left in the in the uh, I think it was late '80s or early '90s, um, yeah, late '80s, um, there was no internet, there was no way to you know get uh, the, the 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 truth out in a in a any kind of big spectacular way. So I think he thought, well, there's not really a whole lot I'm going to be able to do about this anyway. And I don't think Pat Broker was ever any kind of crusader or, or somebody who was really big on uh, getting the truth out in the first place. You know, I think he was in it for himself. And I think after he left, he just wanted it to go away. And I don't know that he was even aware that he was being followed for, you know, 20 years by a couple private investigators at, at the command of David Miscavige. So I think that's you know, or if he was aware of that, here's another thing is maybe he wanted to speak out. You know, there's all kinds of scenarios here. Maybe he really did want to speak out, but he knew he was being followed and he knew that the church would, you know, ruin him utterly if he uh, tried to do more than what he was doing, fading into the background. So there's a lot of different possibilities there. I don't want to trash the guy's reputation um, or, you know, good name or whatever uh, out of my ignorance. You know, there, there are a lot of different possibilities there. But um, that's what I was thinking about when I think of that. So K-Dog DK says, what happens to Scientology when the career of Tom Cruise comes to an end? Oh, well, if Scientology will keep on keeping on, they'll find more celebrities or they'll find more dupes or or whatever. I mean, Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise's career isn't the thing that's keeping Scientology going. It's just... Um, uh, it, it's a bit, it's a bonus for them. It's cream for them. You know, when Tom Cruise goes out and says something positive about Scientology, thousands of people will go out and, and buy a book or will respond positively to it. I don't know that that still happens now though. That that's, I'm talking in the early two thousands is when that kind of stuff was happening. Now it's such, it's such a toxic brand that Tom Cruise himself doesn't even talk about it publicly. So 
you know, but but I don't think his career trajectory and Scientology success are particularly tied together. All right, Preacher1138. There are rumors that the reason that Eddie Perkin is on Twitter so sporadically is because the stress of Scientology growing bigly is wearing him down. What you say? <laughs> um, uh, huh. I, no, I, no, I wouldn't say that would be the reason. I mean, Ed Perkins or Parkins or whatever this guy, he's, a, as I understand it, he's a staff member for the Church of Scientology. He works at the Office of Special Affairs. So... You know, individual burnout, the way that manifests is you just don't see the person anymore. They end up on the RPF or they end up getting kicked out or they leave or they're on some kind of endless ethics trip or they're in the hole or whatever ends up happening to them. And then you just don't see them anymore at all. If you're seeing them sporadically, it means that the work that they're working on is not that important right now to the church. They've got other projects they're working on or other things they're doing that we don't know anything about necessarily uh, and that is probably what's going on. I mean, John Alex Wood disappeared off Twitter a couple, of, I, I think, a year or two ago, and uh, or pretty much disappeared. I, you know, you don't really see or hear too much from the guy anymore compared to the amount of activity he and his wife, fiance, girlfriend, whatever Gemma um, were were doing. And it's probably kind of similar. You know, they get they get foisted off onto other projects or other activities instead. And then maybe they'll come back and work on this a little bit, work on that a little bit. And it's more a reflection, I think, of the fact that there are so few of them available to do that kind of work that um, that if something else comes up, they're working on that. All right. Kyle asks, uh, do you think it is, it's wrong to enjoy Tom Cruise films despite the damage he's doing? I can't. Um, but I know I... <sighs> I don't want to try to be other people's moral compass on that particular point because it's, you know, uh, I can't stand Tom Cruise. I can't watch him. I know too much about him and and what he's been up to as a human being. And he's a horrible human being. So what can I say? You know, I don't enjoy watching the guy play in, uh, roles that are not him, you know, being a heroic figure. And I don't really like the Mission Impossible series anyway. I think that's it's trite and it's you know sort of stereotypical nonsense, and I, I just don't like those kind of movies anymore. Um, I used to. I used to really dig on action films, and I you know of course you know you guys know I love Marvel and that kind of stuff. But but the the over the top Tom Cruise stuff, it, it's just glorifying him, and I can't stand the guy. Um, but I can't make other people's choices for them. And I can't make other people feel the same way I do. I wish I could because he doesn't deserve the accolades and recognition he gets. He's just not that person. You know, there, there's so much there's so much stage managing going on with people like him. Uh, it's and people buy into it. And it's kind of it, it just makes me sad, really. Um, but that's that's about as much thought as I put into it. Um, cause I know that everybody's going to make the choices they're going to make as far as what entertains them, you know, and, and in the end, that's not really the problem. You know, the real problem with Tom Cruise and Scientology are, are its abuses. And if, and, and if we could just get rid of that and get that stuff not happening anymore, then who cares what movies Tom Cruise is in, you know? And then Kyle asks again, will you be doing your review on Aftermath Season 3? As I heard, they will be doing Season 4. And if they do, what do you think they could cover that they haven't in the last three seasons? Um, 
I don't believe there's going to be a season four of Aftermath. I've not heard anything like that. I think Leah is doing some other production work. I'm going to probably find out more about that. Um, I think we're all going to find out more about that in the near future. Um, I think that there's still plenty to cover. Uh, I mean, you could do an entire show just on the RPF. You could do, um, the, you know, there's there's a lot. Of, there's still a territory to be covered. Um, but... Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not on the production scene on that stuff. So I always kind of, I'm a little gun shy about talking about what other people should be doing with their, with their coverage of Scientology. So let's see here. Um, Preacher 1138. So is independent Scientology just Scientology, but without disconnection, fair game and taking of people's life savings? <laughs> Pretty kind, kind of, um, Independent. See, here's the thing about independent Scientology is it's anything the person wants it to be. They they cherry pick this and that and the other thing out of Scientology. So yeah, for the most part, independent Scientology does not engage in the the disconnection or the heavy ethics. They don't you know get into the physical abuse and that kind of stuff. Independent Scientology is a very very tiny number of people. I mean, I think it's measured in hundreds, not thousands. When you come into like how many people are actually doing independent Scientology worldwide, it's not a whole lot of people, but they have course rooms that they've set up and they deliver Scientology training. They've come up with their own versions of of Scientology materials and check sheets and you know the study materials, and uh, they just kind of do what they like about it and they ignore the stuff that they don't like. And there's a lot of stuff to ignore. I mean, there's tons of policy you can just sort of ignore. There's pieces of tech you can use or not use. There's a, I mean, there's this tremendous body of work. And there are processes, let's say, from 1952 or 1953 that the, that the Church of Scientology formally doesn't really use anymore. But independents will will drag that stuff up and say, wow, this stuff is this stuff is great. We're going to do this, you know. And they're practicing Scientology as it was practiced in 1952. Uh, or the other another group of independent Scientologists or another independent uh, practitioner might be doing the fully modern stuff. And he's all up to speed on what's going on with Scientology now. And he's using the latest e-meter and he's using the latest stuff, but he doesn't want to be under the, uh, you know, reign of, or the, the control of the, the, the formal church. So he does it himself. So you have, you got a, you got a big wide gamut of possibilities of what you're going to run into with independent Scientology that there's one group isn't the same as another group as another group. So it's, it's a real, you know, kind of coin tosses to what you're going to get. So another one for Chris, this is personal, but do you still apply tech? Maybe just some good points you took away with you? No, not really. Um, there are things I do that, that somebody might think of as Scientology, but is not really. I don't think about it that way anymore. Like, for example, I've got a dictionary. I look up words I don't know the meaning of. <laughs> Um, sometimes if I, you know, get a little introverted or, or, uh, whatever, I might go take a walk, but I don't think about that as Scientology anymore, you know, because like, for example, it's a taking a walk thing, you know, uh, this little tiny piece of Scientology tech, you know, you're introverted, go take a walk, but you're supposed to actually go when you're out taking a walk, you're supposed to walk and walk until you run out tiredness. 
And I don't do that. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into that kind of weird subjective nonsense. I just want to go out and get some space and look around at things, you know, that kind of thing. So I don't really think too much about, um, practicing formal Scientology in my life anymore. I don't think I really do anything that would be called Scientology um, in my day-to-day. Even, you know, the thing that I held on to longest, I mean, until very recently, was the, uh, the communication stuff, you know, the TRs and all that. And I've explained in recent Q and A's about how all those TRs break down and work. But even those, even doing this this suicide awareness and prevention workshop, showed me some things about even the TRs that were kind of off. And I was like, oh wow, I've I really got to reorganize my thinking on some of this stuff. So even that has now started sort of fading away as something that is that was a, a, a good nugget of Scientology that I was still holding on to. Now I'm kind of like, mm, yeah, I, don't, I don't think that was really what everything I'd cracked it up to be, you know? Uh, so, yeah. Right. So at least nothing I'm aware of. You know, maybe there's still things I just do that, I've, that I just always did, but nothing I know of as, you know, I'm, I'm applying Scientology in this way. All right, so Neon Cat, uh, one more question. Will Nora Crest ever come back for another interview? She's so great, and she once mentioned that the RPF was crazy during 9-11. Yes, it was. Um, I don't know if I'm going to get Nora back or not. I've reached out to her a couple times, and uh, we haven't really made it work. So uh, I don't know if she's so super interested in doing shows anymore. Um, I can't speak for her. I'm just saying that's what I think. So, um, yeah, I'd love to get her back on. But, um, you know, that's one of the things about getting interviews with people and stuff is you kind of have to get their agreement. And, and sometimes people assume that they you know, that they just want to talk and talk. And some folks have just moved on. And, you know, I think uh, as a personal decision, that's okay. You know, they, they should move on with their life if that's what they want to do. Uh, I do think that they should, you know, be reporting to like Leah has been uh, pushing really hard for recently. I think, you know, that, that we need to report everything we can to the authorities that work is being done. But as far as all the public exposure goes, you know, some people just kind of go, okay, I did my thing. I'm ready to be done with that now. And I, I don't know if that's where she's at or not, but we haven't been able to, to coordinate her workout getting back together. All right. And then for the Cynthia asked for me, Melissa, do you like Chris with a fuller beard, the half he has now or none? So, so. over here. I personally like it the way it is now. It's kind of the half beard, you know. Too full is a little too much, I think. And I like him better with the beard than shaved. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why it looks like this. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Neon asks, who will be in charge of the church once David Miscavige decides to leave his body when he dies? (laughs) Right. Big. That's the, that's the big question. And, um, who knows? You know, there is multiple scenarios um, possible there, but we don't know. The The bottom line is nobody knows because there's no secession plan. David Miscavige is not going to trust anybody enough to turn over to someone or groom someone for, you know, eventual leadership or something. He's just not that guy. And he doesn't, he doesn't approach things that way. He's the one who holds all the reins of power. So, 
Um, so who's going to take over once he's gone? Well, uh, the answer to that question relies on the circumstances of how it happens. Does David Miscavige just die? Does he get incarcerated? Does he just take off one day? Like there's lots of different ways this could go down. And depending on how it goes down will depend a lot on who steps up or whether anybody steps up. It's um, it's not nothing is certain on that, which is why it's a it's really an impossible question to answer. Mm. It's great questions, by the way. Yeah. Good questions today. All right. So Kyle says, sorry again for all the questions, but what damage do you think will be done if Tommy <laughs> Davis speaks out? A lot. Tommy Davis could say some things, I think, that would be very, very interesting and useful for for folks at large about the inner workings of Celebrity Center, especially he spent years in the president's office of Celebrity Center. And I think he has stories that would make people's, you know, eyebrows singe uh, about the celebrities. I'm sure he has a ton of inside information about that. That would be most useful. Um, and then as far as, you know, I don't know that he uh, spent a lot of time or ever went up to Int. So I don't know how close he got to David Miscavige's inner circle. Um, you'd think as, a, as an international spokesman, he certainly, you know, was interacting with David Miscavige a lot. But I don't know how, you know, physically how much he spent time at the base or within uh, Miscavige's uh, inner circle that way. So I don't know what he what he could or couldn't dish on uh, in terms of Miscavige's personal life or or interactions with him, but I'm I'm quite sure he would um, have a wealth of information that would be would be useful for uh, for uh, on a number of fronts. But I don't think he's ever going to speak out. By the way, uh, both of his parents are hardcore Scientologists. He's a hardcore Scientologist. He's connected with other hardcore Scientologists. I don't see any compelling reason he has to come out or speak out. He's made it abundantly clear a number of times that he's just kind of on that side of the fence and that's where he's comfortable being. So I think it, I think it probably comes down to a family for him. All right. So then preacher 1138 again, do you think one of the reasons that the church of Scientology has so flatly rejected the person claiming to be LRH reborn is that they don't want a schism to emerge in the church? Sure. Absolutely. There have been um, schisms in the past. I mean, when David Mayo left, he was the senior CS uh, international. He wasn't even claiming to be L. Ron Hubbard. He was just the guy who worked right under L. Ron Hubbard as the senior tech guy. And when he took off after the Mission Network blow up and everything in the, in the mid-80s, hundreds of Scientologists, maybe thousands, left with him. I mean, that was a big, big, huge problem for Scientology. So, uh, yeah, I think Miscavige is aware of the power of um, of that, and uh, and uh, you know, but at the same time, you kind of go, uh, you know, I think a lot of Scientologists would have a very hard time believing that L. Ron Hubbard had come back, and especially in that way. I mean, that guy who's promoting that he's L. Ron Hubbard, the guy's a goof. You know, I mean, come on. <laughs> You'd have to, you know, there, there are certain tests you'd have to pass, you know, and I don't know that that guy has even approximated passing them. So, um, so I don't think Miscavige is overly concerned about it. I don't think it's something that dominates his thinking, but it's certainly uh, a, a problem. So I think it's something he would want to quash. Uh, however, you know, he could go about doing that. All right. Kyle asks, have you heard of people going in undercover and becoming a member in order to get them out? 
Yes, uh, there was a woman who did that. Uh, she got caught. Uh, it's not a good idea. Uh, there is no reason to do it or any, no, you know, uh, there's no need to do it. Um, but yeah, there was, uh, there was somebody who did that and it didn't take too long before they caught on to what she was doing and, uh, and they busted her and she <clears throat> didn't get into, um, a whole lot of legal trouble, but, um, but she could have, I, th I think, I think there could have been issues there if they had decided to really go great guns on it. But, um, but I think they, they wisely chose not to, cause it would have just made the problem, you know, mushroom and do a PR disaster uh you know whereas uh, i think pretty much just us we you know in the in the scientology watching world know about it but the big wide world doesn't really know too much about that and i didn't think the church wanted to make that a big issue all right and cynthia asks how do you feel about the church now using tom's kids and john travolta's daughter mm -hmm. El elia elia looks mm -hmm. sad yeah ella ella um I think it's pretty standard use of second gen members. Like this is kind of how it happens. This is how it rolls out, you know. And in the with the celebrity world, of course, you see everything. Uh, with private individuals, you don't. But it's this. But this is just a kind of a standard second gen pattern. This is how it works, you know. Is is you get the adult in, and then they have kids, and then the kids get indoctrinated, and then they follow suit. And they're given tons of love bombing and validation. And also, of course, there's behind the scenes a certain level of threat of disowned, you know, being disowned or being shunned or disconnected if they create too many problems or or don't, you know, buck the if they buck the system somehow. So um, you know, in the end, these celebrity kids and these celebrities, they're just people. They're just like you and me. They're really no different. They just happen to have a job that puts them in the public limelight way more than, than we're in it. So, um, but the, the same foibles and problems and issues and personal problems that they got all the same stuff. And in fact, being in the limelight, like they are, they probably have more. So, um, so I, I think it's sad. I think it's tragic, uh, you know, that this kind of thing goes on, that the, that these kids are so heavily indoctrinated and, and manipulated the way that they are. Um, but that's just the world we live in right now. And uh, that's, I, I think it's sad. Hold on, technical issues. Okay. <laughs> One moment, please. All right. I don't know. I might have missed some questions now because it went crazy. All right. <laughs> if we missed anything you guys asked about and uh, and you're really anxious to get it answered, then go ahead and just repeat it uh, in case we might have missed oh, something. Okay. Chris asks, will Scientology last? What is your doomsday scenario? What happens when DM drops his meat body? <laughs> uh, okay. Um, no, I don't think Scientology will last into, you know, forever into the future. I think eventually it will putter out. But I think that puttering out time is going to be a while uh, from now, unless there is some cataclysmic event or uh, PR disaster or Tom Cruise were to leave or something like that. Um, you know, given that everything kind of keeps going the way it's been going, um, if they don't lose tax exemption and on all these other things, then I think it will, um, I think it has the potential to sputter out after Miscavige leaves or dies. 
I, it all depends. Like I said, it all depends on the context of, of how it happens. Because there are people in Scientology who could step up and take over. There are people right now who could be in middle management positions who will, over the years, rise up and end up being the person who could end up taking over. It could be a Jehovah's Witness scenario where the leader, the individual guy who started it, disappears, and a council of people take over, right? You can have a board or something. That's, you know, I, I did this video about the whole management structure, and it's supposed to be a group of people are supposed to be the senior ecclesiastical body of Scientology. It's not supposed to be one guy who's running the whole show. So they could even revert back to that system if they were to um, actually follow their own policies and 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 organizing boards and stuff. So so there's so many ways it could go um, that I, I hate doing predictions or or how I think it'll go because I don't. I don't know how it's going to go. It, it really depends on a lot of chance and circumstance. Right. And then this guy says, can you wish me happy birthday? My name is Nick Gurr. Nick Gurr. Happy birthday, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Next, uh, my TV says, if Hubbard was active and alive today, would he have a YouTube channel beyond Twitter? And if how... Would he do it? I hate Tom Cruise too. <laughs> <laughs> no, Hubbard would not. Hubbard was a recluse, right? Remember, he uh, he went into hiding, and um, and he was sort of deathly afraid of being found out about by the government and stuff. Very, very similar to the way David Miscavige acts now. You know, David Miscavige could easily have a Twitter handle and put himself out there, but he's terrified. The guy's a coward. And at the end of his days, Hubbard was uh, going nuts and it was also very, very cowardly. When you commit enough crimes, <laughs> you know, you get a bit of a guilty conscience. And uh, and I think that's, you know, part of what happened there. And of course, you know, the the fact that they were truly facing, you know, that Hubbard was truly facing uh, uh, legal repercussions for some of his actions. I mean, he was an unindicted co-conspirator for Operation Snow White, but he had tax evasion and fraud and other things that he very easily could have been gone after for. So, um, no, I don't think these guys are too interested in in being out in the the public environment so much. You know, let me just comment on this a little bit. It's about these these kind of personalities: Miscavige, Hubbard, uh, Keith Renier from Nexium. You know, cult leaders. For them, it's all about control. And specifically, I think as Lifton puts it, milieu control, like environmental control. They're all about um, being in charge. And when you put yourself out in a public venue or a public forum, you're not in charge anymore. Anything could happen. You know, I'm doing this live stream right now. Anybody could come on here and ask me all kinds of crazy things. And I have no control over that, really. So um, so they don't like being in a position of not being in control. They're terrified of it. And that's why you see the bubble world in a cult, any cult. That's why it forms. That's why it develops in the first place, you know, in addition to the whole us versus them thing that they have to get going where it's, you know, us versus the rest of the world. So that also, you know, contributes to the bubble world mentality. All right. So do you think Star Wars Episode Nine will be as bad as eight? I hope not, <laughs> but I don't have high hopes. 
honestly. I, I want it to be better. I want it to go out with a bang, so to speak, you know, with the, on the, the nine volume series. But I've been very, very disappointed ever since um, Disney sort of took over the whole thing. It's just kind of gone to hell as far as I'm concerned. I'm not at all impressed. Actually, to be completely honest, it went to hell with the prequels, uh, and that was Lucas. So, you know, it's not like I'm a, I'm a, you know, Lucas uh, follower. I think he really screwed up with the prequels too. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I, but I'm hoping. I, obviously, I will, I will be there on day one. I will see it, and uh, and hopefully it won't be as bad as I'm right, predicting. So someone just donated 19.99. Y'all ain't right. Hey. Thank you. Super <laughs> chat. All right. Boom, boom. And Thank you very much for your support. Yeah, the next question is from Blake Nestle. So Cruz has screwed three marriages thus far. Would it be fair to lay the lion's share of the blame on Scientology? Um, yes, I would. <laughs> now, Cruz is his own personality is tends toward, you know, tends toward narcissism. Um but he's also funded charities. He's done community work. I mean, he's done some good things. You know, I, I paint Tom Cruise as this horrible, awful person because I truly believe he is a horrible, awful person. But it's not like he doesn't do any good. And it's not like he had to turn out this way. Scientology has an extremely negative effect on people's personalities, almost one for one in, in one way or another. It had it on mine. I, you know, I, I, I did some really horrible things as a Scientologist and Sea Org member. And Tom Cruise has done a hor some horrible things as a Scientologist and celebrity. So um, would things have turned out the way they, they had if he wasn't a Scientologist? No, I think it'd be very different. I think he'd be a very different person with a very different life. He was out with Nicole Kidman. For years, they were out, and he did, you know, Eyes Wide Shut with Stanley Kubrick, and he was doing different kind of projects, and he was kind of getting, you know, he was kind of out of that whole world, and they wrangled him right back in, and then Nicole got the boot shortly thereafter. So, uh, so Scientology's had a very negative influence on Tom Cruise's life and marriages, and uh, and I think that that uh, I think you can definitely lay some blame for that on on Scientology. All right, and there's another super chat for two dollars. Hey, Chris thank you. Yeah, cool. And, uh, all right, do you think COB's wife is still alive? Yes, I do. I don't think Tom, I don't think David Miscavige is going to murder Shelly. I don't think he has any reason to. I think if he wanted her dead, she would have been dead rather than sent off to exile. Uh, I think he's exiled her away and he doesn't really have to think about her too much anymore. And she's in a place where she just gets to work and contribute to the big picture and you know and she doesn't have to think about david miscavige too much anymore <laughs> so i i think i mean you know there's so much there's so much conjecture there uh on this all we really know is that she's disappeared and she has been seen or we think she's been seen up in the lake arrowhead area and we know that there is a base there for um, the author service or not the author services but the uh, church spiritual technology the cst places. So we you know the the amount of hard information we actually have about her situation is not a lot. And it's entirely possible that she's not there anymore, that she's dead, that and how would we know? But I don't think she is. 
I think she's just working her way up there and and uh, and doing fighting a good fight. <laughs> All right, uh, Jill Anderson asks: Does Scientology have a copyright on the image or facsimile of LRH? Could an actor do an apology? Maybe she means. I think she means something else. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I don't know about an. I don't know what uh, what you mean by an apology, but um, uh, I think if. I think it would be, I think the Church of Scientology's response to anyone portraying L. Ron Hubbard in a media form would be immediate and very forceful. <laughs> I don't think they would take kindly to anybody using L. Ron Hubbard's likeness or image or playing him or anything like that. Um, but no, I don't think you can copyright that, or I don't think they have, or I, they've, I, I've not seen that in the, in the list of of copyrights and stuff that they own. Okay. I'm, I'm not really sure what they could or couldn't do. I just know that they would raise a stink about it because L. Ron Hubbard is, is the central figure of Scientology and, and they would not be happy with anybody messing with that image. Um, we got another super chat from Preacher 1138, 499. For 99? 499. 499. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you. Awesome. I love super chats. You guys are so awesome. Thank you. Yeah, and then we've got about five minutes left. Oh, okay. Wow, this has gone fast. Yeah. So Charlie Hunt asks, how is being in the hole justified in a country like the U.S. who has freedom and free choice, a legal system, and so on? To me, it's something like the gulags in North Korea. It It, it is from an objective perspective. But from the perspective of the people who are in the hole, they feel that they deserve to be there. They feel they have committed crimes. They have done things that are moral violations of Scientology's or the Sea Org's rules and guidelines, including the fact that they pissed off the leader, David Miscavige. That itself is, is a crime in Scientology, right? That they interbulated or upset David Miscavige, made him have to work harder than he would have normally had to work because they dropped the ball or they messed up on something or a series of things. And it's, it's all about blaming the victim and guilt tripping, right? And a lot of gaslighting too, tons and tons of that. But you get these people in a place mentally where it's like Lawrence Wright calls it a prison of belief. That's really the prison that exists there. You know, they they could physically tear down the walls, break down the doors. They could do things to get out of their circumstances. But they're convinced that they deserve what's happening to them. And there is no better way of imprisoning people than getting them to that place mentally. you Because you, then they're the ones who are imprisoning themselves. This is the same thing as the, it's a it's a higher level of um, the, the thing I've talked about where people self-police in Scientology to keep themselves off the internet. You know, they don't have to have somebody watching them 24 seven. They watch themselves because they have become convinced that doing certain things like looking at Scientology material on the internet is destructive to their well-being and to the mission of Scientology. So they they police themselves. Well, you, you notch that up, you turn the volume up on that a bit, and you get this situation where people will willingly be incarcerated or be you know made to do very degrading physical work. It's not like they enjoy that work. Nobody enjoys it. Nobody thinks that this is a whole lot of fun. But if they feel that they've let the team down in such a spectacular fashion that they have to make penance for it, they have to atone 
for what they've done and they have to fix themselves so they won't do those kind of things anymore. And they'll be contributory and they'll be positive members of the team and they'll make the mission happen. That's where their heads are at, at least as far as I'm concerned. That's where my head got to and that's where I saw many other people when I was on the RPF and, and talking to people who were in the hole, like Mike Rinder, Marty Rab, you know, these guys came out, they talked about it, Amy Scobie, um, you know, laundry list of people who have, who have discussed this and they all kind of line up on this thinking that it, that it had to do with intensity of belief and an intensity of guilt, you know, and that's where these guys get to. Uh, so that's, that's why I talk about the it being so psychologically destructive because that kind of stuff, you carry those kind that kind of guilt and 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 the the PTSD and the other things that, that emerge from it, you carry that stuff with you for the rest of your life. It's really damaging, far more than just being thrown into a room and locked up for a few years. It's it's worse than that, you know. Um, and that's why I think these these groups like Scientology, because Scientology is not the only group doing this kind of stuff. But that's why I think these things are are more destructive than just the the the, the locking people up stuff. Okay, so we got a two pound donation from oh. Flint Reed. Hey Flint, thank you. <laughs> and it's eleven o'clock. Okay, well I guess we'll I guess we'll start wrapping up then. Um, did we? Have, let's do one more. Okay. Uh, Chris asked, "What are?" Still ends told about Ron and Jenna and all of the Hubbard defendants leaving. Do they even know? If they happen to find out or hear about it, which many, many, many of them have to have heard about it by now, they are they are given, they're sat down in a room with an ethics officer or somebody who works with the Office of Special Affairs, and they are shown a pack, usually binders, of information about the person that they have a question about who's left. For example, Ron Miscavige, right? He's got a whole website detailing all of his horrible awfulness, right? And they have binders of information on these guys and they show it to Scientologists who are on the fence or who have questions about this to convince them that this person, Ron or Jenna or me or Mike or Lear or anybody are so evil, we're so horrible that nothing we say can be believed. Nothing we are talking about ever really happened. We're just making it up. They assign all kinds of false causation to why we're doing what we're doing. We're in it for the money. We're in it for the, sorry, the prestige or the exposure or something. We, you know, all these, all this nonsense that they make up about why we're doing what we're doing. And they, and they work the Scientologist over with this information. And generally speaking, it's not that hard to convince a cult member that, a for, that an apostate or a former member is in the wrong because they want to believe that Scientology is true and real and correct and is the answer to all of their problems. So it's, it, it doesn't usually take a whole lot of convincing. The closer the Scientologist was to that critic or former member, like if they're a family member, they were close friends, or work, they worked closely with the person for years, they're going to have, then, the, then Scientology is going to have their work cut out for them to convince this person how evil this apostate has become. But they, they are successful way more often than you might imagine. Um, but 
when it has to happen over and over and over again, it, the, then those explanations start wearing thin and the Scientologists will start seeing through what's happening. Uh, that's certainly one of the things that happened with me is there were just too many cases of it. And at that point, you know, they, the people start leaving. And that's why, one of the reasons why Scientology is shrinking rather than growing. So, okay, guys. Um, cool. So we're going to wrap up now. This was, wow, you guys gave me some great questions. This was, this was good. Thank you very much for coming around, guys. And um, we will do this again soon. And uh, yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right, let's see how we wrap this up here. <laughs>